welcome you to First Methodist Mansfield. Welcome those here in the well and those upstairs in the Well Cafe. If we have not met, my name is David, and I serve as a senior pastor here. And if you are a first-time guest or a returning guest, uh, we're glad that you're here. Hope you've already been blessed uh, by your time in worship. You just saw the preview for the series that's going to start for us on February 14th called the 40-Day Challenge. It will carry us all the way through Easter. Uh, we're very excited about this, and this is the second uh, of a new kind of series that we're doing that we call Super Series. And what that means is that over the course of that six weeks, you'll not only have a chance to hear a message in our worship gatherings on a particular theme, but we've put together a workbook and video teachings uh, for small groups to utilize to take that message a, a step deeper and for you to dive into that uh, in a deeper way. And we really want to encourage you to be a part of that. So the first thing I want to encourage everyone to do is pick up one of these workbooks. We have them outside uh, both of these worship spaces uh, for 10 bucks, which just covers our production of this. And, and this plus the video teaching is all that you need uh, to gather with a group of your friends and to grow together uh, in your faith. Uh, the other thing that we're particularly asking you to think about uh, this weekend is the idea of you perhaps serving as a host for a new small group. So when we did this in September with A Deeper Life with God, we started 80 new small groups in our church. Uh, which meant that in the course of that six weeks, we had 500 additional people who were connected in those groups and in, the, in those life-changing relationships. And we're hoping in this study to start 60 new groups. So we're, we're seeking to recruit people to host those new groups. Now, all you have to have in order to do that is you have to have a group of friends and a location that has either a DVD player or a wireless signal. That's that way so you can get the, the video teaching. You do not have to have a seminary degree. You do not have to be an expert in the Bible. You don't have to have all the answers. This workbook and the teaching that we put together for you. We'll do all the heavy lifting for that. But I want you to think about that and, and pray about that because when you participate, when you serve in that way, you multiply the effect uh, and, and the impact of, of our church and the ministry of our church. And you give people the chance to connect together in life-giving relationships. And so if you are thinking about that, uh, in your bulletin today, if you'll pull that out for me, uh, there's a registration card and on the back side of it, there's a box uh, that you can check that says, I want to host a 40-day small group. If you are sold out, hey, that's what I want to do, or you're just thinking about it, I really want you to check that box. Make sure your information is on the other side. Pastor Sharon will be in touch with you and give you some more information about what that looks like and offer you whatever resources she can to get you started on getting your group together uh, and getting prepared for the launch on February 14th. Uh, we're really invested in this because we believe that life change happens in the context of relationships. We're going to talk a little bit more about that today, but I really want you to think about uh, not only getting a workbook, being a part of a small group, but maybe for you uh, helping start a new group uh, in the life of our church. Uh, if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. If you were here last week, you may be thinking, that's where we were last week. Is this the same message? Did David not come up with anything new? We're going to continue in Genesis 2. We're going to look a little bit deeper uh, into that story. And we're in the third week of our current series called Fuel. If you're brand new, here's what we're talking about. We're talking about the fact that when a new year begins, we usually give a little bit, at least a little bit of energy of thinking about what we want to do differently in the year ahead, where we want to go uh, in 2016, in, in this new year that has started for us. And I hope that you're still thinking that way. I hope you're not like in week three thinking, oh gosh, I failed. I can't change. You know, uh, I hope you're not in a place of depression. I hope you're still thinking about possibility and opportunity and where you want to go. But what we're talking about is that we spend a lot of energy on that part of it. Where do we want to go? We don't spend a lot of energy typically on how we're going to get there. 
We don't think about the fuel that actually will lead to that transformation being realized in our life. And so that's what we're looking at in this series. Wherever you want to go in your life, whatever you want to change in the next year, we're looking at those common things that we believe fuel transformation in our life. So we've talked about vision, having a clear vision for your life. Last week we talked about physical health. Something that many of you are already thinking about, but we talked about it specifically in relationship to our spiritual growth and the idea that as we care for our bodies, we are giving to God back the number of days he needs to see his dreams realized in our life. And so there's a spiritual connection to how we take care of our physical selves. Today, we're talking about relationships and the power of relationships to fuel transformation in your life. And so I want to begin with just a statement, a conviction, an idea that I think I think you're all going to agree with, okay? Wherever you are on your faith journey, you may be just beginning. You're just trying to figure out what's in this book, who this guy Jesus is, what that might mean for you in your life. Or maybe you're much further along. Wherever you are on that spectrum, on that journey, I bet you're going to agree with, with this statement. The statement is this, that the most powerful, the most valuable part of our lives is never the material, it is always the relational. The most valuable part of your life is never the material, it is always the relational. And I wanted to state that up front because, again, I think most of you are thinking, yeah, I, I mean, I agree with that. That's true. I think the relationships in my life are the most valuable part of my life. But I also want to point out to you that while I think in this room and upstairs in the cafe, you're all kind of internally shaking your heads thinking, yeah, I agree with that, we often don't live that way. We often live in a way that values the material over the relational. We often live in such a way where we value the things that we possess, the, the accolades or the success that we may have already received or we are chasing in our life, and we often do that at the expense of the relational. And oftentimes, it's not till much later on in our life when we recognize the way in which we have damaged those close relationships in our life that we wake up and recognize, I don't even believe that. I didn't even mean to live that way, but we find ourselves living upside down, valuing the material over the relational. Now, unless you were living under a rock last week, you probably heard about the one point. $5 billion Powerball lottery. Did anybody not hear about this? Anybody? Anybody upstairs? If you did, I'm so sorry. I mean, you were so close to winning $1.5 billion, right? And we should probably gather together and say a prayer for the three winners who had to split it. I mean, they had to split $1.5 billion. Isn't that, isn't that awful? You may have kind of been caught up in that last week. I mean, it was everywhere. You couldn't escape the news. Everyone was talking about, oh my gosh, $1.5 billion. I'm probably going to win. What am I going to do with it? Some of you were thinking that last week, weren't you? I mean, you've got a spreadsheet at home that has all the things that you would do with all that money, but you didn't win, that's okay. You know, while everyone was talking about this lottery and the potential of winning this, look how big it is, and oh, if there's not a winner, it's gonna go to $2 billion. Some of you had to go back and say, well, I gotta figure out what to do with another $500 million. You know I mean? Because I'm gonna win that probably. You, uh, of all this news and all this focus, I couldn't help but think that I couldn't think of anything that would ruin your life more than winning $1.5 billion. I mean, have we stopped and considered how destructive that would be to your life? Like, that should be something you would wish on your worst enemy. Like, I want you to win $1.5 billion and then deal with it. 
It would completely, completely upend all of your relationships in your life, and you'd have to figure out what to do with this massive... Res- I, I, I just can't help but think that to win that, at the end of your life, you'd be thinking, oh my gosh, I wish that would not have happened. What did I do? What did I do? Now, if you bought a ticket, I'm not mad at you, okay? I'm not saying you need to come and confess your sin. That's not the point in bringing that up. But it is to highlight the fact that I think that's an example of the lie that our world tells us. And the lie is that the material is more valuable than the relational. And while we're thinking about fuel and thinking about $1.5 billion, many of us buy into this false notion that if we just had more stuff, it would somehow fix, it would somehow fuel the transformation in our life. And yet that never works that way. Because the relational, the relational is the most valuable part of our life, not the material, not the things that we possess or the success that we have achieved or whatever it is that we might be chasing in our life. It's the relationships of our life. So we're going to look at Genesis, Genesis chapter 2 and look at why that is. Why is it that the good things in our life always flow from, from relationships? And then I want to give you a framework today for thinking about the relationships in your life. So Genesis 2, we're going to begin at verse 15. So remember last week, God took the dirt, he formed it into the shell of a man, he breathed into it the breath of life, and where earth's dust met God's breath, life was formed. That's what we talked about as we looked at physical health. We're jumping down to verse 15. God's created some rivers. He's, there's, there's more things that have come into being. Then verse 15, it says this, The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Verse 18, The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, if we had started this morning at Genesis 1-1, and we just decided to read from 1-1 to 2-18, you wanted to read both of those chapters together, what you would find at several points along the way is God stepping back from his act of creation and evaluating those things that he had brought into being. And so as you journey through chapter one, what you would find over and over again is God stepping back and saying, that's pretty good. You know, God's kind of impressed with what he has created. He's excited about it. He thinks it's beautiful. He thinks it's lovely. He thinks it's good. When he creates it, he evaluates it and he celebrates what what he has done. He takes delight in this new thing that he has brought into being. That's a, that's a good reminder for you as you think about your life, that God delights simply in your creation. He steps back and he says, it is very, very good. But uh, up until 2.18, that's all that's happened, okay? All that's happened is God stepped back and said, awesome, looks great. I, I love what's happening here. It's only when we get to 2.18 where God sees something and goes, uh-oh, that's not good. And what God defines as not good is the man living in isolation. And so he creates more human beings to share life together. So very simple idea. We were made for relationship. 
That's what the scriptures teach us over and over again. We were made for relationship, not only relationship with God, but relationship with one another. If you dive into these scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, you'll find this consistent theme that there is this connection between our relationship with God and our relationship with others. You can't isolate those two things. They live in harmony together. We were made for relationship. That's why the most valuable things in your life are the relational, not the material. That's why every good thing in your life comes from a relationship in your life. But here's the flip side of that truth, okay? I mean, if we acknowledge together that, hey, the good things in our life, they they are a result of relationships, here's the flip side that we also have to acknowledge, that there are other things that come into our life because of relationships. There's good things, and sometimes there's bad things. There's great, wonderful, life-giving, transforming, awesome things. And then there's kind of some junk that's often stirred up in relationships. Relationships have the power to fuel transformation in your life. And relationships have the power to completely prevent transformation in your life. They can create a barrier to change in your life. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you a framework for simply thinking through that question. What are relationships doing in my life right now? Are they healthy? Are they life-giving? Are they enabling me to pursue change, fueling change in my life? Or is it possible that there are some relationships in your life that are actually preventing change in your life? And until you deal with that, until you heal that relationship, reconcile with that relationship, or perhaps even move away from that relationship in your life, it's going to be very hard for you to continue pursuing transformation in your life. So I want to invite you to write down four words today. And the words are wisdom, insight, courage, and grace. Wisdom, insight, courage, and grace. This is not an exhaustive list, but I wanted to give you a starting point. Again, for you to think about your own relationships. I can't evaluate those for you, but my goal is to give you a framework that you might utilize to think about the relationships in your life. We're going to talk about each of these four words and what it means to see these things cultivated in the relationships that we have in our life. So let's start with wisdom. And let's talk about wise people in your life and smart people in your life. I bet you have both, okay? Hopefully you have both. Yeah, I hope you have some smart people in your life. If you have smart people in your life, just say thank God. I mean, thank God I have smart people in my life because I'm kind of dumb sometimes and I need smart people in my life. I need people who will fix problems for me. Do Do you see that in your life? I love smart people. I mean, smart people impress me, smart people who have their uh, gift and ability to understand something that I can't understand. I love being able to go to them and say, I don't get it. You know, I don't, can you fix it? Can you, can you help me through it? Some of you know that I love Apple products. I'm a big Apple fan. I, I mean, if they came out with a refrigerator, I'd come up with some reason why I need a new refrigerator. I mean, it's just, it, I just, I, I love what they do. Here's one of the things I love about Apple. If I have a problem, I can go to the store and meet with a genius Someone they've said is a genius who can fix my problems. And here's what I've learned in my relationship with these smart people. They always fix my problems. It's great. Even if it's just, give me that. Here, take this one. You know, because that's a, wow, smart people, you know. Smart people are awesome. They fix problems. Smart people impress me. But wise people are the ones who change me. I want you to think about wisdom, not as someone who comes into your life and fixes your problems, but someone who comes into your life and walks with you through them. Someone who, in walking with you through them, has the ability and the capacity 
to help you to see the situations and circumstances of your life in maybe a little bit different way. Because most of us live life like this. Like we've got our blinders on, like this is all I can see. And we get trapped in that small vision of what's going on. But a wise person will come along and will help you take those blinders off. And they'll help you step back and, and understand, oh, I didn't see that before. I didn't understand that layer. The wise person is the one who will, who will come into a, a relationship in your life and you'll say, I don't understand what my husband is doing. I don't understand what my wife is doing. And they'll say, well, have you thought about maybe what they're thinking in their life? And they'll go, oh, I know I haven't thought about that. It's, it's allowing you to see a new perspective on whatever it is that you're, that you're facing. It's broadening your understanding. So with each word, I want to give you a question. A question I want to encourage you to write down. With the word wisdom, the, the, the question is, how have I changed my thinking? Or you might phrase it this way, how have I deepened my understanding? How have you grown in the last six months or the last year or the last five years? Who are those people in your life who have helped you with that growth and with that new understanding? How has that wisdom been cultivated in your relationships? If you're sitting here today and you look back five years later and you think, well, I haven't grown at all. Well, that's a problem. That's a problem. We are meant to grow and develop. And there's probably a perspective on your life that you need to see if you're going to experience the growth that you want to see in your life. The second word is insight. And insight is a particular kind of wisdom. Insight is wisdom that is specifically directed to understanding yourself. These are the people who have come into your life before, and they've come alongside you, and they've said, you know what? You're good at that. Do you remember that moment when someone stepped into your life and said, you know what? That's special about you. And maybe it was something that you had never seen before. It's something that you just thought, well, everybody can do this, right? But no, 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 no. You can do it. And these are those people who have helped you see that because of this uniqueness that is you, what is special about you, that you have an opportunity to participate in what God is doing in the world in a way that others don't have, that there's something you can do that no one else can do. Can you think about the people in your life who've offered you insight and helped you to see and understand yourself in a, in a fuller way? These are also the people who have helped you see your weaknesses. Oh, we love them, don't we? These people who, by grace, have helped you see your weaknesses and have helped you understand what may be a blind spot for you. This is something you need to be aware of. This is something you need to look for. This is, this is maybe something that you need to work on. This is something that you may not see about yourself or understand about yourself, but, but you're going to be helped if you, if you understand it. Some of you know that several years ago, I decided to do something that I wasn't doing before. And it was something that I decided to do because I often ask other people to do this. When someone comes to my office and they talk to me about what's going on in their life, often what I will suggest to them is, here's a friend who is a counselor, and I think they would be a good help for you. And when I do that, usually they, they, you can kind of see in their eyes that they're thinking, I didn't know it was that bad. I thought this was a one-shot deal. You were going to fix everything, you know. I'm kind of hoping for that. But I recognize that for most people, for someone to come alongside and just talk with them, that's a great blessing in their life. And so since I always ask people to do that, I thought, you know what, I should, I should probably do that. I mean, I didn't have anything like huge that I thought, oh, my gosh, i got to talk to somebody about. But I thought that, that would be helpful. And I asked people to do it. I never want to ask anybody to do anything that I'm not willing to do. And so... I went and saw a counselor, a guy who works specifically with pastors, and I went for a couple sessions, and, and it was helpful. 
It was really helpful. It was, it was something that was a blessing to me. And it was about the third session. I remember I asked him, I said, do you have any pastors that just come to you on a regular basis? And he said, no. <laughs> I said, okay. And I said, uh, do you think that would be a good idea? And he said, yes, I do. I think it would be very helpful. And I said, well, I, I think I want to do that. I think I want to I want to come on a regular basis. So I started going four times a year. I'd go every quarter. And, and more recently, I've started going more frequently. And it's not because I just can't handle my life and I'm going crazy and, or anything like that. It's because it's been valuable. I've learned things about myself. And I'm, what I've seen, what I've experienced in my life is I really feel like I'm a better pastor for you. I feel like I'm a better husband for Stephanie and I feel like I'm a better father for Anna and for Jack because I do this. Because of the insight that I receive from, from that relationship. And because of that, I, I want to invest in that because I want to invest in those three goals. Those are, the, some of the, those are three of the highest aspirations of my life. I want to be a good father. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good pastor. So here's the question with insight. What have I learned about me? What have I learned specifically about me? How have I grown in my understanding of myself? Whether it's, hey, I've, I've grown in my understanding that this is a gift that I have, or maybe this is a weak spot that I have, and it's something that I should work on. Third word is courage. Courage is the will to do the right thing when the wrong thing or the easy thing may be tempting to go another way. We all need courage. We need courage to do the right thing. When the wrong thing or the easy thing may be tempting to go another way, most of us assume that's never going to happen. We're going to be fine, but then it hits us. And then it hits us. Courage is the willpower. It is the moral fortitude to stand up when you feel like sitting, to speak out when you feel like being silent, to quiet down when you feel like lashing out, to forgive when it would be easy to get trapped into hate, to follow the conviction of faith rather than the impulse of fear. I want you to hear that phrase again, to follow the conviction of faith rather than the impulse of fear. Some of you know that several years ago in this service here in the well, we were totally packed. I know you're thinking, well, what's, what's changed? No, we were really, really packed. At that point, we were averaging 275 people in this space right here, which seats about 220. So we had a problem. Okay, And it became a real problem on the day that the bishop came to hear me preach. And he was literally sitting in a chair where he could touch the women's restroom out there in the hallway. It's like, well, that wasn't very good. You know, that didn't, that didn't look very good. So we were like, how do we fix this problem? What are we going to do? We had no idea what we are going to do. And we knew it was a problem. You know, it kind of started out like fun. Like, oh, wow, we're like sitting on the floor in this fun. And then, you know, a couple weeks in, it was like, the floor? You want me to sit on the floor? I mean, that, what are you talking about? i got to sit outside. And so we're like, what are we going to do? How are we going to fix this? And so I remember going and just thinking about, God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? How are we going to come up with this? And, and so, you know, just brainstorming, just whiteboarding. What are we going to do? I came up with this idea of what if we, like, what if we like put people somewhere else on campus? And maybe we'll put a band up there and somehow we'll like, Make the sermon go up there. Just, there were no smart people in the room. It was just me. So it was like, <laughs> I don't know, just do that, something. 
So we got some smart people in the room, and they started working on it, and then we started looking at, well, okay, what's the band going to be, and how are we going to do it, and what are we, what are we going to do? And there's all sorts of things that we had to work out as we were going through all this stuff. And, and with every detail that got put in place, and the further we got into this process, I just thought to myself, this is going to bomb. <laughs> this is not going to work. I didn't tell anybody that because I didn't have any other ideas. But... <laughs> But that's what I was thinking. I was thinking, this is not going to work. I don't know what. I, I, I just I was having this nightmare that I was going to stand up and beg people to go, and people were going to be holding on to their chairs. I'm not leaving. I don't want to go anywhere. You know, I just thought, this is not going to work. I wasn't telling anybody. I remember I walked down the hall one day, and Pastor Mike's just walking out, and so he's, he says, well, how's it going? And I just started talking. I said, well, we're working on this, and we got this person working on that, and blah, 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 blah. And, and then I said, but I don't think it's going to work. And he kind of looked at me like, and I thought, and then I just started telling him, you know, what I was worried about and what I was thinking. I just, I don't, I, I don't think it's going to work. And, and, he, and, and he, he did this, as Mike will do. You know, he just kind of listened. And, and he said, I think it's going to work. He said, I have faith in you, and I have faith in your team. I think it's going to work. And he said, but this is a risk that you have to take. And I remember that one conversation, just that what to him may have been an offhanded comment in the hallway, that meant so much to me. I, I remember feeling strengthened by that and thinking that, at this moment where I felt weak and scared and so afraid that this was going to bomb and people were going to, you know, want to burn my house down. You know, I'm just, you, you know how your mind goes sometimes, right? He just said, I have faith in you. But the other thing that he did that I really want you to hear is he reminded me that it was my risk to take. He reminded me that it wasn't enough to simply go, oh, thank you. That's very encouraging that I had to take action. It was something that only I could do. And that's what people do for us who give us courage. They not only say, hey, you're going to do it. It's going to be okay. But they remind us, you got to do it. you got to take that step. So here's the question with courage. The courage is, is there a risk I have not taken because I am afraid? Is there a risk I have not taken because I am afraid? The risk may be a conversation you need to have with someone in your life that you're just worried about. You know it's, whether it's a, a conversation that might lead to reconciliation, a conversation that may be confronting something that you know needs to be confronted. But what's keeping you from that? And then the question is, who's helping you with that? Who's the person in your life who you can be honest with, with the fears that you have in your life, and who can say, hey, I, I have faith in you, and you've got to take this risk. Fourth word is grace. Grace is, uh, I'm not referring to the prayer before the meal. I'm talking about undeserved favor. I'm talking about the love we receive from God, not because we merit that love or have earned that love, but simply God wants to give it. These are the people in your life who remind you that you are not what you do. You are not what you produce. You are valuable because of who you are, because you're a child of God because you're a son of God, because you're a daughter of God. These are the people who remind you of your identity, They're the people who remind you of what your life is really all about, that you have value, that you have freedom, you have all these things that are free gifts from God. God gives them to you, 
and you live from that place, not from a place of, of, of worrying about that. My guess is if I were just to give you a few minutes and allow you to write down the names of maybe the three most valuable relationships in your life, those may be people who are currently a part of your life or who were a part of your life 20 or 30 years ago, that if you were to write down those three names, you would list some people who gave you wisdom, you'd list some people who gave you insight, you'd list some people who gave you courage, all of them would have been people who gave you grace. All of them would have been people, if they are the most valuable relationships in your life, they're the ones who reminded you of how God sees you, of who you are as a child of God. The question here is, do I struggle with insecurity? Do I struggle with insecurity? And who is helping me with that? Who is helping me with that? This is what I want to encourage you to do with, uh, with this message, what I hope that you will do with this. Again, I can't evaluate your relationships for you, but hopefully this framework may give you an opportunity to sit down at some point this week and just ask yourself the question, how am I doing? How am I doing? Are the relationships in my life fueling change or are they preventing change? As you reflect on that, and again, I hope you take some time, intentionally set aside some time to do that, as you find areas of strength. So as you look at that and you think, wow, I really have received wisdom in my life. And as you pinpoint the source of that, here's what I really want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to say thank you. Now, for the guys, okay, I want to be very specific with you. This is not, hey, thanks, man. Okay? I want you to be intentional about expressing gratitude for the specific thing you are saying thank you for. Meaning, I want to thank you for offering me wisdom in my life. That ha I, I have appreciated that. That has been meaningful to me. I want to thank you for offering me grace. I want to thank you for courage. Be specific because the other person may not have any idea what they have been doing for you in your life. The second thing, or the, the next thing is, as you find deficiencies, and know we all have them, we all have them, two things. Always start with you. Always start by stepping back and asking the question, if this thing is missing in my life, am I providing this for others? If I lack courage, if courage isn't being cultivated in my relationships, am I investing that in others? If it's grace, whatever it might be, am I investing that in others? And here's the last thing. And this is going to sound like a preacher answer. I can't make it any... I'm sorry. The preacher answer is this. I want to encourage you to find a group. I want to encourage you to get connected to a small group. And here's why. Christian community is powerful. I mean, it's really powerful. If you have experienced that in your life, you know how powerful that is. And what we're doing here today, this is a part of Christian community. It really is. But it is not everything Christian community is. Because Christian community is messy. I mean, it's not when we get dressed up and look nice and smile and say, hey, everything's going great. Christian community is when we talk with a friend and we say, it's falling apart. And I need help. I need you to pray for me. I need you to walk with me through this. Now, if you join a group and you show up that week after February 14th, you're not going to walk in and go, oh, Wisdom, courage, insight, grace, it's all right here. Look at this. Okay? That's not what happens, okay? It's not a magic trick, okay? You have to invest in those relationships. You have to invest in those ways. You have to open yourself up. You have to be vulnerable. You have to be encouragement and, and receive. You have to commit yourself to those relationships. But for many of us, the isolation that we live in is the thing, is the most powerful thing that is preventing you from growth in your life.
It's that you're living in isolation. And when you, if you have the courage to open up your life to others and to share it in, in that healthy, life-giving way, you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed at how that will begin to fuel transformation in your life. Pastors talk too long, so we're going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for your relationships. I'm going to pray for you this week as you spend some time with these four words and these four questions. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for creating us and crafting us as relational people. We thank you, Lord, for the reminder you offer to us that this is the most valuable part of our life, that at the end of our life, when it's all said and done, these are the things that we will treasure more than anything else. And at the same time, Lord, we, of course, recognize that if we are deficient in this, this is the thing we will regret more than anything else. So give us your wisdom, Lord, as we think about how to live in proper relationship with you, but also how to live in proper and healthy and life-giving relationship with others. I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters that you would give them the space this week to, to think, to reflect, to pray, to invite your insight and wisdom to speak into their life and to help them see areas of strength and also areas of weakness. To share thanks, Lord, to be specific with that thanks, but also, Lord, to, to be people who are willing to respond to where we find weaknesses as well. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity now to, to give to you. Um, we thank you for each gift and for each giver. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to participate in what you're doing through the life of this church, the ministry that we share. We pray a blessing on all those things and I pray your blessing on each person that is here today. All these things we pray in Jesus' name.